Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I want to take my text this evening from the book of Matthew chapter 6. And if you'd like to turn there, we're going to read a few scriptures as we go along tonight. I want to talk to you this evening about some things that are very, very fundamental. I don't have anything brand new to bring to the table. I don't have a new spin. I'm not bringing you something worn because I have nowhere else to go or I haven't prepared for this evening service. This morning in prayer and really for the last several weeks, I've been feeling this, but more specifically this morning in prayer, I've just been thinking about how our society and and certainly the church is not exempt, how distracted we have been with all that's going on in our world. So much chaos on every front, uh, political upheaval, um, sickness, disease, viruses, death, and um, as you well know, that some of the loss has not just been statistics that we read online, but some of that loss has cut very, very close to where we live, and people are dealing with that, and we as a church family are dealing with that. But I believe if there was ever a moment in time that we must pull ourselves together, it is now. I want to just try to help, with the help of the Lord, center ourselves around three things. I'm not going to try to talk about these three things exhaustively. But I just want to underline them in passing tonight. I want to talk about three disciplines in our walk with God that are just so vital. They are just so crucial. I want to speak this evening on giving. I want to speak on prayer. And I want to speak on fasting. And you may wonder where in the world has what does all of this have to do with where we are. I believe these are fundamental things among others. But I believe these are fundamental things that help us stay Grounded to the core and the center of who and what we are. I think these are very, very important disciplines in the church and in our lives in particular. And uh, I just pray that the Lord will help us. And if you'll just make this journey with me, I believe God will do something. And uh, he, if nothing else, will just underline the importance of some truths in our life. These three things that I am speaking about tonight are, of course, found in the book of Matthew chapter 6. These were three important disciplines in the lives of the Pharisees. And Jesus did not condemn them for their practices. He didn't condemn them for what they were doing, but he did caution us to make sure that our heart is right when we are doing these things. That's, it's the motive behind what we're doing. It's, it's the why. It's the why. And so um, we pray that the hand of God will just touch us. I, I, uh, I want to make sure that the, our motives are not misunderstood or my motive is not misunderstood. 
I want, to, I want the Lord, when, when I give, to not be surprised by that. I, I want the Lord, when I pray, to not be surprised by that. Or when I fast, I don't want him surprised by that. I don't want to raise any measure of suspicion. I remember hearing many years ago, uh, suppose the man came home from, uh, from work and, and uh, met his, his wife, met him at the door, and, and he, he came in the door. He had a big bouquet of flowers, and she just broke down, started crying, just went to pieces. He is puzzled, baffled beyond measure. He said, what in the world? She said, well, Timmy got expelled from school today and I burned supper and now you've come home drunk. And, <laughs> and so I don't want any kind gesture to be misunderstood. I don't want anybody to be surprised. I want the Lord to be surprised when I'm doing something that I should be doing anyway. Amen. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. But let's look at these, these things closely. And I, I just ask the Lord in my own life today, and I ask him as we make this journey together to help us, I, I feel sure that I'm not going to say anything that you haven't heard before. And so I, I'm not even trying, I'm completely comfortable in my approach tonight. I'm not trying to come up with something new. I just want the Lord to underline some things in our life. And so let's talk about the discipline of giving for just a moment. Again, I'm not going to cover all of this as exhaustively as it could be. And uh, in the month of November, we're going to have a, a big focus on prayer in the month of November. We'll be talking a lot more about prayer and teaching about that as we lead up to that. But so we're just going to hit this in passing tonight. The Pharisees used, uh, they used giving to gain favor with God, or so they thought. But not only that, they wanted to give so that they would gain favor or impress people around them. And both of these are wrong. Both of these motives are wrong, and they're wrong for more than one reason for sure. But number one, no amount of giving can buy salvation. And so it doesn't matter what we do, giving of finances, giving of our time, talent, energy, effort, no, nothing that we could give could purchase salvation. Secondly, to live for the praise of man is a very, very foolish thing because the voice of man changes. And so the best thing you could do is never believe the press reports. And so if you won't believe them when they're calling you a winner, you won't believe them when they call you a loser because the, the voice of man can change. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24, Simon Peter says, All the glory of man is as the flower of grass. Or in other words, he's talking about how the grass can wither and fade away. And so all the praises of men or of mankind, it can all wither. And it certainly will in time. It will in time. It will fade. But it is the glory and the praise of God that truly counts. I can't help what some people think of me or think about me. I want to do my best to live above reproach and... and make every decision that I can possibly correct in my life, but I can't help what people think, but it really matters what God thinks. Amen. And that's, that's what really counts. And so if our motive is, is to get the, the praise of men in our giving, and then we're going to call attention, we'll do everything that we can to call attention to that. But if our motive is to please God, then we will give our gifts whether anybody knows it or not. Whatever that gift may be, I certainly think of giving monetarily, but there's many, many ways that we give and contribute. 
And as a result, we're going to grow spiritually and others, and God can be glorified in our giving and others can be blessed in our giving. And so when we do what the Lord has called us to do, and so with wrong motives, I just want to say this. Speaking of giving, I just want to, I, I know I've mentioned this before, but way back in 2020 when COVID broke out and we were having church online and and uh, I just want to tell you that the giving of our church has just been so consistent, and I am so thankful for that. That speaks volumes. That speaks volumes about what's in your heart. Because as you well know, we haven't physically taken up an offering in well over a year. Amen. And so there's been nobody saying, saying anything about an offering. We've just been given from our heart, and uh, our heart is in the right place. So I want you to... I want to say thank you for that, and I just I just want to acknowledge that, but I also want us to know how important it is that these are things that they're just nailed down. And so you're obviously not given because somebody's passing the plate. <laughs> and and you're you know, whatever trying to impress somebody. And so if we're just if we're if our motive is to say we're gonna do this because it's biblically right and it's biblically sound, then we're gonna give our gifts whether anybody ever acknowledges that or not. Now, I, I don't want to. I don't. I can't afford. You don't want me to take too much time. I've got too much to cover tonight. But um, I, I do not think that that there's anything wrong if somebody knows what you're giving. I, I want to say that. I've been in many, many positions before where someone would say on the platform, "Is there anybody here that would be willing to give five hundred dollars?" I didn't raise my hand to give five hundred dollars because I wanted people to see that, but I was just willing to give five hundred dollars to that cause, so to speak. And uh, so I don't think there's anything wrong. Our motive, that's what we got to watch is our motive. And so if we give, then we're going to grow spiritually. The Bible says that when we give, it opens the windows, plural, of heaven. The only other time you even see that word used in Scripture is when the Lord opened the windows of heaven, when it began to rain in Genesis and the earth was flooded. And so if there's any connection at all, I believe that giving opens the windows of heaven and it pours out a blessing that we cannot contain. There's not room enough to contain it. But if we give with the wrong motive, then we rob ourselves of the blessing and we rob God of the glory. And so it, that doesn't mean that it's wrong to give openly and that doesn't mean that uh, all giving should just be done anonymously. I think that I can prove that in scripture. Um, we can see in just one example in Acts 4 when the church, the New Testament church is coming together that the, the Bible talked about people took their possessions, their land, they sold it, they brought everything that they had together and they laid it at the feet of the apostles. Now, when this scripture, when we begin to first read this in Acts 4, these are nameless and faceless, anonymous people that they are just giving and they're just bringing it together. But then in verses 36 and 37 of chapter 4, it specifically talks about Barnabas who did the very same thing. And I think, I think there's a principle here that it's not wrong. I don't think Barnabas was running in with the title to his property. I don't think he was running in with all of his, with the, the cash receipts and saying, here it is. I think the Lord is drawing a principle that there are times we give anonymously and no one knows anything about that, but I don't think that Barnabas was wrong. He publicly gave some unnamed people, but Barnabas was specifically named. And so when they, 
laid their wares at the feet of the apostles. This was obviously not done in secret. The difference, of course, was the manner, the spirit in which it's done. And so I want to be a worshiper in my giving. I want the Lord to know that if there's any place, I, I, I don't want to be stingy. I don't want to be stingy in my giving. I don't want to be stingy in my giving of praise and worship. I don't want to be stingy in giving of my time, my effort, my energy, and I don't want to be stingy in giving of whatever finances or, or assets the Lord may have blessed me in order to give. Then we could talk about the discipline of prayer, and I said a moment ago that we'll be talking about prayer more in depth in the next several weeks, but in Matthew 6, 5 through 15, Jesus gives at least four instructions that guide us in prayer. And uh, I, I think that, number one, that if, if we're going to have anything to do with prayer, and prayer is going to be a part of our life, I believe that we must have a private time of prayer. That's where prayer must begin. It must begin. Not, I'm not saying that because I think it's wrong to pray publicly, but if the only time we pray is praying publicly, then that might be more hypocrisy than anything. And so I don't want to just come early to church or, or be praying after church and that the only, that's the only time that I pray. If that's the only time I pray, then I believe that my prayers are not valid. Amen. I, I need to know that God recognizes that voice. Amen. I really believe that. I heard an elder many years ago say something that left a forever stamp in my heart. I really get the principle that he was trying to drive home. He said, you should never pray to be seen but it never hurts you to be seen praying. And so we don't run in and pray just so somebody can see us, but it doesn't hurt to be seen praying. I believe that it would not hurt our children at all to hear us pray. Not just praying for them, praying over the food, but, uh, but there to be a voice of prayer as they grow up. That ought to be something that's in their mind, that, that's an irrevocable Memory. I can remember hearing my father pray. I can remember hearing my mother pray. I, again, not praying to be heard, praying to be seen, but I believe it doesn't hurt to be found in that posture of prayer. Jesus uses the word closet in the book, in the book of Matthew 6. That word is translated as a private chamber. I don't really think that uh, you have to have a specific room in your home that's a prayer room, although I think... Perhaps many people have a specific place that you're more comfortable praying. I know my wife and I each share a different place in our home. That, that's where we're more comfortable praying. And that's a private chamber, but it's not a locked away chamber somewhere. The Bible speaks of many people that prayed privately. Mark 1 and 35 talks about Jesus going out to a solitary place and finding a place of prayer. In 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 32, we read about Elisha when the, the young man had died. Elisha went into that chamber and shut to the door and, and began to pray a prayer of faith over that young man. In Daniel 6 and 10, we read about Daniel going into that chamber, opening the window toward Jerusalem and praying three times a day. These were not public places of prayer, but they were private chambers of prayer. And so I believe that there is something to be said about that private prayer. If you only tell your children you love them in public, they may grow suspicious. If you only tell people in public how you feel about them, it may have very little merit. But if no one is listening and no one is looking 
and you convey your feelings, then I believe that adds value to what you say and do publicly. I've used this example a lot, and I'm, I'm not sure that everybody understands what I'm saying or really agrees with what I'm saying, but I think I can always tell when a guy is trying to hold his wife's hand, and they don't normally do that. I mean, they're just, they're just all over the map. And you can tell when somebody holds hands all the time. It's just as natural as hand in glove. Amen? I'll move on in case you're one of those. Matthew 6 and 8, 7 and 8, the scripture says, When you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be ye not therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask. So he says, don't, don't be guilty of just vain repetition. I think it's important to understand that it's not wrong for a request to be repeated. That's not vain repetition. A request becomes vain repetition if it's just babbling words without any sincerity at all. I mean, I don't want my prayers to be just Jesus, 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 Jesus. I mean, what would a conversation be if I just walked up and said, Jerry, 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 Jerry. He would hope after a while I got to the point. And so it can't be vain repetition. There has to be merit. There should be at least merit. And so we don't need to just get into repeating something. And again, I'm not talking about re-praying a prayer or making a petition again and again. Merely reciting a memorized prayer, that could be vain repetition. Just to memorize some little few lines. And that's just what we say every time we kneel down in prayer. And it's the same thing. It lasts the same amount of time. <laughs> Amen? Vain repetition. That should be something free-flowing, conversation that just flows. When you are with a friend, when you're with someone that you love, maybe intimately love, or just someone you have a, a deep love and appreciation for as a friend, you can get caught up in a conversation that just goes on and on. Layers of conversation. And it takes certain dimensions of conversation. I, I, I hope I can break this down in your mind as it is in mine. But sometimes there, there's a conversations that last so long, it just kind of goes to another layer and another layer. And in time, you're talking about something that you couldn't have just started off talking about. Does that make sense? You kind of needed to wade into a little bit of that subject. And I'm not talking about gossip or anything that's wrong, but there's just something about that in prayer. Prayer has those same dimensions. As you begin to pray and you just continue to pray, there are some things that you're praying at the end of that prayer that probably you wouldn't be praying at the beginning of that prayer because it took that space of time to get past yourself. I know we say this in jest sometimes, but there's so much truth to it that when you begin to pray, when I begin to pray, I'll leave you alone. When I begin to pray, I can think of all kinds of things. I remember where I laid things. I remember where this is. I remember all sorts of things. The person I need to call, uh, a text I need to return, an email I need to respond to. I don't think that's coincidental. I believe the enemy is just bombarding your mind with all manner of distractions and you have to press through. More importantly, you have to pray through. 
those moments of distraction and, and um, I mean, sometimes you can kneel down in prayer and I mean, you're just there. I mean, you were just, you didn't even realize you were three steps away from glory before you ever started. Yeah. And sometimes I feel like I've been three days away from glory. You just pray and you pray and you pray. You got to press through. You got to press through. And so, uh, you know, there, there can be, uh, I think, a little bit of a natural awkwardness when you're talking to a stranger. You don't really have a lot of common denominators, and, and so whatever was the springboard of your coming together, that's the, just the little pinnacle or foundation that you had to stand on, and so there's just a natural awkwardness when you're talking to a stranger, but by the same token, there's a natural flow when you're speaking to a friend, and so I want to be able to speak to a friend and let that flow when I speak to the Lord. Of course, a wonderful pattern of prayer is found in verses 9 through 13, the prayer that we often refer to as the as the Lord's Prayer. I've said many times that the Lord didn't give us this prayer to be memorized. He didn't give us this prayer to be recited. As a matter of fact, Jesus didn't say pray these words. He said pray after this manner. This is a pattern of prayer. This is something I want to show you. And, and this, so pray after this manner. Matthew 6 and 9. After this manner, therefore pray ye. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And so we're to use this as a pattern, a launch pad for prayer, not as a substitute for prayer. It's just a pattern for prayer. It would just mean nothing if we memorize the Lord's Prayer and we just spit that out first thing every morning on our way out the door. It would just mean very, very, very little. One, one purpose of prayer is to glorify God's name. Amen. To lift him up, to praise and to, and to magnify him. Another purpose of prayer is to ask for his help, his assistance to accomplish his will on earth. I want to do what God has called me to do every day because God is calling us to do something every day. This prayer begins with God's desire, not our desire, his will and not ours. It's impossible for us to use what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer as a pattern of prayer and ignore the plurality of its content. The Bible begins, Our Father, Our Father, I'm reminded that, that, that I'm a part of a worldwide family of God. When I say our Father in prayer, I think first of all about our local church family. I'm thankful to have a local church. I'm thankful to have a body of believers. But my mind goes beyond that. I'm thankful for the state of Florida where we have so much of our fellowship and the things that go on. I think about that. And then I think about the nation, all around our nation of believers and then all around the world of believers that we are connected. I was talking with someone the other day and we'd been really sincerely praying for them. And, and so when we were getting off the phone, I, I said to them, I said, I just want you to know that we have been praying for you. And rarely does ever a service go by that we don't call your name as a church in prayer, but our family is calling your name in prayer. And we try to do that on a daily basis. And they said this, thank you, I feel the support of prayer. And when he said that, it just prompted something in me because I knew what he meant. Because I have felt that sustaining support a prayer. And then I said to him, I said, you know, you just have to go through a few things in life to really understand the magnitude of what you just said. Thank you. I, I feel your support. I feel those prayers. And so I will tell you today that, that if you have ever been in a strait 
And the Spirit of God just somehow, I don't know how, I, my vocabulary is not nearly what it should be to try to define this, but I don't think I have to tonight. I think if you, there, many of you have been right there and you have just felt that sustaining arm of God that was stabilizing your life in the midst of all kind of pain, peril, or misunderstandings. And I'm thankful for the family of God that can pray for us. Amen. I'm thankful for that, our Father. I should never doubt and don't want to ever doubt that the Lord cares about my needs. Matthew 6 and 8, the Bible says he knows our needs before we even ask. Some may cynically say, well, then why should we pray? If he already knows, then why should I bother to pray? But I believe that we pray because it is God's appointed measure and pattern for us to receive what we need. He said, ask and it will be given. If you seek, you'll find. If you knock, it will be open. We're always placed in a preemptive position. Amen. So if we want something of the Lord, he may know that need, but I want to let him know. I want to make that petition to him. Matthew 6 and 10, the Bible says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. I think it's important to note that. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. It's been said many times, but when we think about being done in earth, we came from the dust of the ground. We came from the very dust of the earth. Amen, that's who we are. That's where we came from, that's where we're going back to. So let your will be done in me as it is in heaven. Amen, not just on the ground, that's not what the Lord is talking about, but let, the, let his will be done in me. In verse number 11, he said, give us this day our daily bread. I'm reminded often and remind you often of Deuteronomy 33 and 25. As our days, so shall our strength be. And so he said, give us this day our daily bread. Give me today what I'm going to need. Amen, it is right. It is, it is in order. It is completely biblical for us to pray daily for physical needs, to pray daily for forgiveness to pray daily for guidance, to pray daily that the Lord would preserve us from the evil that is in this world. I'm gonna tell you there's so much evil coming from every conceivable angle. I'm not trying to be a fear monger tonight. I'm just trying to be honest with you. And so I say, Lord, build a hedge about me. Build a hedge about my mind. Build a hedge about my family. Build a hedge about our church. Amen. It is okay. It is in order to pray that God would do those things. In verse number 12, he said, forgive us, of, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Amen. Jesus uses that phrase, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, I'm going to, to skip over verse 13 for just a moment, but I'll be back. And as, as we continue to read, we, sent, we see this principle underlined even more. In verse number 14, he said, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. These are very sobering passages of scripture. So I'm not preaching to sinners tonight. I'm preaching to the church, to those that get something stuck in our crawl, something stuck in our spirit. So I just don't know if I'm gonna be able to get over this or I'm gonna forgive, but I'm not gonna forget. But we need to understand that the Lord is saying that if you will forgive men, then your father, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you're gonna withhold forgiveness, then I will withhold forgiveness from you. And so it is imperative. I can't sit around here and 
try to decide what I'm gonna do about that because I believe verses 14 and 15 make that decision for me. I don't wanna stop the flow of forgiveness in my home. I don't wanna stop the flow of forgiveness in my mind, in my heart, in my own life. And so the decision is already made. I'm just gonna lay this on the altar. I've gotta give this to God because I'm gonna need forgiveness coming my way way more than I need to forgive forgiveness. I've gotta, I've gotta have it coming toward me. Amen, I've gotta have a forgiving spirit toward people. If you haven't been done wrong, just buckle up. Amen, it's the truth. It doesn't matter how full of the Holy Ghost someone is. They make him sing like a bird. B-I-R-D. <laughs> may need to qualify that here. But we're gonna have to say, Lord, I need you to touch my heart. And I don't want, I don't want to let this be a festering sore, a blister in my spirit. I've, I've got to take care of this. I've, I must take care of that. <clears throat> Jesus wasn't teaching that by verses 14 and 15. He's certainly not teaching that we can earn forgiveness by forgiving others. I don't want to leave that impression. That's certainly not what the Lord is saying. You know, if you'll forgive, then you can be forgiven because that would be contrary to his free grace and mercy. He, he forgives because of his grace and mercy. But if we have truly experienced forgiveness, am I speaking to everybody now? If we have truly experienced forgiveness for ourselves, then the question is why would we not want to forgive others? I'm not just talking about being forgiven of God. We've all been forgiven of God, but we have all been forgiven of things we've just done wrong. We said something we shouldn't have said. We, we just, maybe you didn't rob a bank and maybe you didn't wind up on the front page of National Enquirer. But we've all been in error and someone extended forgiveness. I'm gonna tell you, guilt is a weighty thing. It can crush your mind. It can crush your heart. It can crush your spirit. And when someone says, I forgive you, my, 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 amen, it's almost like getting the Holy Ghost again. Somebody just lifts that weight and it is forgiven. Your record has been expunged. I mean, it is over. And so if we have had that experience and why would we want to be ready, stand ready to offer that. There are many, many scriptures that underline these truths, but Paul said in Ephesians 4 and 23, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. That's how we should forgive. As he's forgiven us, let us forgive others. Colossians 3 and 13, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And so if you have a quarrel against it, see, Paul was writing to the church in Colossians that was made up of human beings like the church in Hatchpin and like the church in Jacksonville and Ocala and Gainesville and you just named the city, you fill in the blank. He was writing to the church that was made up of people that have red blood flowing in their veins just like us. And if any man have a quarrel against any, just as Christ forgave, then you, then you forgive in verse number 13, the Bible says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. And so in this petition or this part of this petition, we're asking God to lead us and guide us so that we don't wind up out of his will. We're asking the Lord to help us not only uh, to, to be not led into temptation, but help me Lord to avoid 
even situations that have temptation. I don't even want to be in a position of that. Amen. And temptations, whatever color you paint it, it's whatever you name it, because it all is it would all differ. Uh, from individual to individual, so whatever that may be. But Lord, I ask you to just help me to not even be in a situation. Amen. I believe that true prayer, we go back to our Father. True prayer is a family affair. Our Father. This is our family. This is our Lord that we're talking to. And so if we're not getting along with one another, then how can we think that we are gonna be in right, right, right relationship with God? And so we can't be wrong here and be okay there and just pretend that this doesn't exist. My fellowship with my fellow brothers and sisters determines my fellowship with God. And so that's why forgiveness is such an important part of prayer. In Matthew 5 and 23, Jesus said, he said, if you bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother has an ought against thee, he didn't say pray louder, lean in, say see my tie, tie my tie. No, 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 he said if you get to the altar and you remember that your brother has an ought against you, not that you have an ought against your brother. If you remember that there's something wrong, he said leave your gift at the altar. You know what that means? I'm coming back, I'll be back. Leave thy gift there before the altar, go thy way, First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. And so the strong implication is is that we can't offer something to God if we got a big mess going on with other people in our heart. Amen. I can't just come sing louder. I can't try to jump higher. I gotta go fix this. We've got to go fix this. Amen. So the person doing the praying, that person has to have a clean vessel in order for what's coming out of it to be clean. Because prayer involves glorifying God's name. So how can I glorify God's name if I'm all twisted up with somebody else? Amen. We're asking the Lord to just hasten his return. Thy kingdom come. I don't want to ask the Lord to hurry up and come if I'm not ready to go. <laughs> I'm going to be asking him to wait a minute. Give me a moment to get this thing fixed. Amen. How can I say, Lord, help me to do your will on earth? How can I be a chosen vessel to work for you if my vessel is tainted and unpure, impure rather? Amen, therefore, one praying, I can't have sin in my heart. I can't have all in my heart. I've gotta make sure I'm right. And so if God answers the prayers of someone that had an unforgiven spirit, he's gonna be in a way dishonoring his own name. And so if God is gonna grant that request and somebody's got sin in their life and the Lord just acts like nothing's going on, then he is condoning that sin. That's why he said, leave your gift at the altar and you go reconcile, make that right and then, and then make your way back. The important thing about prayer is not simply getting an answer. The important thing about prayer is being the kind of person that God can trust with the answer. So what would we do if God did answer that prayer? The important thing is that God could trust us with the answered prayer. Amen. Finally, the third thing I want to speak about is the subject of fasting. He said, moreover, in verse 60, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Again, I'm going to go back to giving. I'm going to go back to prayer and say the principles are the same. That there are times 
that people know you're fasting because we sometimes call a collective church fast. So the, the, the news is out. Words on the street. We're fasting, but that's not our motive. We're fasting collectively and corporately for strength. The strength of one another. There have been times, I've always done this personally, and I always have suggested this to others, that if you're going on an extended fast, you need to have somebody praying with you and for you during an extended fast. So you're not doing that completely privately. There's somebody that's trusting that you're trusting with that kind of information. But the Pharisees fasted in such a way they want everybody to know they were fasting. And so their purpose, of course, was to really look spiritual in the eyes of men and get the praise of men. But again, Simon Peter said, that's like a flower. It's like a, a blade of grass that's gonna wither. And so as a result, they lost the blessings of God. And, and I believe there's many examples of fasting and prayer and we've taught on it extensively through the years, but I believe that fasting helps to discipline the appetites of the body. I believe fasting also keeps our spiritual priorities straight. And if you think you've got yourself under control, fast. You think you got it all together? Just start fasting right now. Amen. You're already thinking about what you want to snack on when you get home from church. Some of you know exactly what you're going to do. It's what you did last night, the night before, and the night before. And the only reason I'm not going to do the same thing tonight is because I'm out of peanut butter. Our disciplines. You just announce a fast. Man. And you just realize I've got some work to do on self. I have some work to do on self. And so it's important to understanding that fasting is more, it's important to understand that fasting is more than just depriving ourselves of something. Because when we take away something, we need to put something in its place. So we devote ourselves to God and worship Him. That's why fasting and prayer and study. Devotion, those things need to go together. Not just fasting and starving, but we should take the time, meal time, or take specific extra time to read more, to pray more, uh, to do something by way of devotion more because emptying ourselves is just one thing. We have to fill ourselves back up with something else. And so as with giving and praying, I think that should be between us and the Lord, uh, again, in those times of exception. But if we are doing it to seek pity or to seek praise, then we're going to destroy the very thing that God is trying to do. Generally speaking, God doesn't tear down one thing in order to build something else up. So if we have to look miserable and be miserable in order to appear to be spiritual, then something's wrong <laughs> right, at, right out of the gate. So remember that hypocrisy robs us. Hypocrisy steals us of the true value of, of what the Lord is wanting to give us. And so Jesus compared the Pharisees to the tombs that were whitewashed in Matthew 23. He said on the outside, they're white, white as sepulchers, he called them. But he said, but on the inside, they are filthy. And so hypocrisy doesn't just rob us of character, it also robs us of, of spiritual rewards. And uh, so instead of getting the approval of God, what we really wind up doing is getting the praise of men. But uh, when we give, there's no blessing. <laughs> Amen. When we pray, there's no answers. And when we fast, it's, there's no way the spirit man is growing because we're just doing this for the outside praises of man. Amen. I, I just pray that whatever we do is going to come from the heart. Because otherwise, our prayers are they're just words. They're just words. 
Our motive has got to be to please God and please God alone. I'm going to ask our musicians to come. It's been well said. It's been well said, but the most important part of a Christian's life is the part that only God can see. It's been taught on many times here, preached on many times here, but in the building of Solomon's temple were just two huge named columns in the front of that temple, some 40 feet high. And on the top of that were chapters, the scripture talks about, the gold work. The interesting part of that scripture is that that was something that only God could see. And there are some things that we're doing that only God can see. And that's important. Matthew 6, 19 through 34 speaks about how we handle the blessings that God has given us. Often, if we're not careful, we can become so accustomed to dividing life into two categories. We can have the spiritual column and the natural column or the spiritual column and the material column. But Jesus never made this distinction. Nowhere did Jesus magnify poverty and criticize legitimate gaining of wealth. You don't find that every, ever in Scripture because God made everything. He made food. He made clothing. One writer said he made precious metals. He's, he's the one that made wealth. And when in Genesis 1.31, at the conclusion of it all, he, he declared all things he made are good. All things are good. And so God knows that we need certain things in order to just survive. You've got to have... You've got to have certain things just to get by. You need food. You need clothing. You need shelter. And, and uh, so it's not wrong to possess things. It's wrong for things to possess us. And whatever God gives us, we need to hold it loosely. I pray often, Lord, help me to understand when I need to be frugal and when I need to be generous. Help me to understand that. So what does it mean? The Bible talks about laying up treasures in heaven. I I believe that it means that we use everything we have for the glory of God, whatever it is. Basically, it's this. It's remembering that whatever we have doesn't really belong to us. That, that real consciousness that this is God's. This is God's. Several years ago, you may, some of you may have been here remember the service, but before church, I gave a young man in the church a $100 bill out of my own wallet. My $100 bill, I gave it to him. I told him my plan. And so in the service, I got up and was teaching about giving. And then I offhandedly just made this comment. I said, you know, if I had a $100 bill, I would take my wife out for a fine steak dinner. And when I said that, that was his cue. He jumped up off the pew. And he'd come walking up here right in the middle of my message giving me that $100 bill. Many of you here, were all, you almost clapped. How generous, how kind, how sweet. <laughs> and then I told you that it was my $100 bill. <laughs> he just jumped up and gave me what was already mine. Now I wonder what would have happened if during the service he got to thinking about, nobody knows I had this conversation but me and him. <laughs> Just go with me on this little weird journey. We won't be gone long. But wonder what would have happened if he just got to thinking, nobody was in that foyer. 
Nobody saw this exchange. And when I got to that point in my sermon, I said, if somebody had, a, if I had a hundred dollar bill, I'd take my wife out to eat, and he just sat there. Can you imagine? I mean, you wouldn't have known what was going on, but I mean, now you would have been getting the stink eye from me. I've been saying, <laughs> you're not only missing your cue, but you're sitting down on my money. I'm going to ask you to stand. So with that, I ask you this. I wonder what God thinks. When there's a need, and we could give to that need. I wonder if the Lord's sitting there wondering. I'm waiting. This is your cue. This is your chance. And you know that young man could have got up out of that service that day and walked out of here a hundred dollars wealthier. He really could have. So I wonder what happens when there is a need and we really do have the time. We could make the time. We could pick up the other end of that and not let others struggle and stagger. And the Lord is looking at us saying, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. You're missing your cue. Amen. I don't want to, I don't want to trust the things of this world. Because it's so fleeting and, and and sometimes material blessings can bring a real false sense of security. Amen. There are people tonight that they would not probably say this with their lips, but they scream it with their lives. I don't need God. I've got cars in the driveway, clothes in the closet, money in the bank, food in the pantry. They're not saying it with their lips, but their lives scream it. But if you knew you had a week to live, it wouldn't matter what you owned. It wouldn't matter how many cars, it wouldn't matter how many, nothing. So when I say you can lose it overnight, I'm not necessarily saying a tidal wave can come in and take all your toys, but they can lose their meaning with just one phone call. With just one phone call, it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter. When you think about, on the other hand, the things that God takes care of. He said, consider the lilies. They don't toil or spin. Consider the sparrows. I'm going to tell you, there's not one sparrow that went to bed tonight wondering, I wonder what I'm going to eat tomorrow. Never crossed their mind. Because God said, I'll take care of that. And if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he said, I'll add all these other things to you. So giving opens the windows of heaven. Prayer connects heaven and earth. Fasting disciplines our flesh. It aligns us, our will to his will. And so in a world that is so chaotic, and even in our world that is so chaotic, I just want to underline a few things. Let's don't drift so far away. Our minds on everything that's going on around us that we forget the important disciplines, these areas of consecration that we need so desperately. You can't improve on these things. You just can't improve on these things. 
Amen. We can only practice them and they will change our lives. Let's pray together. Lord, I love you today. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.